Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum. So glad you've joined me today. My guest today is the number one contender for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship, EC3. EC3 will be facing NWA World's Heavyweight Champion Tyrus for the belt on NWA 75 in St. Louis in a bull rope match. The two-night event is August 26th and 27th. EC3 is probably best remembered for by fans for turning a persona that started as the rich, spoiled son of Dixie Carter and transforming that into something pretty different that fans also got into. He had runs in NXT and in WWE also, but he's really always been better outside of those realms. He's tried starting his own thing called Control Your Narrative, which we'll talk a little bit about. There's a lot going on for EC3, so here we go right now with EC3. So happy to have him be today the number one contender for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship at the upcoming NWA 75th anniversary show in St. Louis, EC3. EC3, welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversation. So happy you're with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Phil. I'm out here at camp, fight camp here in Oklahoma City. I'm doing my training at the dump with uh, the cement factory, AJ Sims, getting ready for a apparently a bull rope match now. It's a bull rope match now for the World Heavyweight Championship against Tyrus, colleague, friend, an associate, and a bitter blood enemy, too. So, a lot of dynamics. Yeah. So, you've been EC3 for about 10 years now. I've been EC3 for my entire life. Have you? Well, I I guess just who was EC3 then and how has he evolved into the version we see – controlling his narrative today in the NWA. I mean, I guess when EC3 was born upon the world about say, yeah, I guess it was about, yeah, 10 years ago, 2013 in October. uh, I mean, he was a hell of a collegiate athlete. You know, he played lacrosse, he played polo. He was in great shape. He was great looking, but obviously he had a bit of entitlement. He had a bit of privilege to him. He was from the, you know, top 1%. He's the nephew of a billionaire family. But uh, through the, you know, trials and tribulations of the worlds of professional wrestling, you know, he became a man who was battle-tested, battle-worn, scarred. He's a man who's been through fights, many fights. He's been, he's suffered through the worst, but he's also beaten the absolute best, and he has the scalps to prove it. So, I mean, EC3 in the 10-year span has kind of evolved into... Well, he's not even fully evolved because come NWA 75, I think that final evolution takes place. Because if you look at the facts, Tyrus, a giant, a mammoth, a huge man, a champion, he's almost a supervillain. He's almost like a Thanos in a sense that uh, can a mere mortal beat him? Can a mere normal professional wrestler be him? I would say probably not. So I think that's why at NWA 75, that final evolution of EC3 has to take place, and I have to become this over man I speak of. 
you started with NWA at the anniversary show last year, and now you know, you mentioned challenging tires for the ten pounds of gold. What does it mean to you to be in that spot on that card? Yeah, a lot can change in a year, and like that was a tough year. Let's go uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, in all aspects. I mean, coming into NWA gave me a little, you know, stability and something to kind of fight for while I was trying to build, and I still am building. What I'm building was always. What I'm building now is what my intention was, CYN, to be a platform and an ideal and a mindset for, you know, not only the inspired, aspiring professional wrestler, but any person that finds inspiration and aspiration to become who they're supposed to be. But uh, through NWA, through one year, I've, uh, like, physically, too, like, I went through it coming into NWA 75. I was in tip-top shape, but I had an injury that was undiagnosable. I had something that was wrong with me that couldn't be cured. You can see it in my body. I had atrophy develop on my right side and, you know, trained through that, worked through that. Fortunately, I never had to have a surgery. Beaten that, that physical aspect took place, like, it was a hard year, but it was a necessary year because only through the hard, only through the suffering, can you become who you're supposed to be? Can you come out of it on the other side? To have the top spot at NWA 75, to have an opportunity to become the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, it's a great honor I do not take lightly, uh, and it's a great honor to be the future NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. The title has a prestige. It has a legacy. Like you can look at any company and world champions and they're all champions in their own right. But the history and the lineage of the NWA World Heavyweight Champion chip is it's the one. If you even talk to talk to Triple H, if you go into his office, he has two titles hanging in his office. One is the Winged Eagle WWF Championship and the other is a replica of the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So if it means that much to a guy like him, it means a lot to this industry. Yeah, absolutely. Why is NWA a good fit for you at this point in your career? I think I think you were in Impact at the same time as Billy Corgan, if I remember timelines correctly. But uh, why creatively is he and his company kind of uh, kind of fit what you're doing? Creatively, like. Uh, Billy Corrigan and I, both Pisces, both out of our minds, creatively kind of like very eccentric and esoteric in a way. I mean, super geniuses at a creative level. So I think that's why it's a good fit. I think the uh, industry of wrestling has found itself in a complacent creative bubble. I think it's a lot of replication of the people people already see or have seen. I think very few have the courage and the boldness to stand out and be themselves and that's in every company, ours included. Um, the reason it's great for me to be here is that hopefully I can capture and become that energy that allows, which I've tried to do, and I will do, to professional wrestlers to be able to tell their story, to control their narrative, to step outside the bubble and outside the box and truly embrace who they are and why they are doing what they do. So a lot of creative uh, constrictions take place in other companies. Well, whereas I don't think creative freedom is a, a guarantee or a necessity every wrestler should have because some aren't very creative. Right. But NWA itself shows that, you know, giving me that platform that hopefully people can, we can take back 
the system, so to speak, and allow wrestlers to be creative again, as opposed to rooms full of writers who've never been in a fight, never been in a match, never been in a ring, you know, bookers of the year and promoters who, you know, just buy their way into the industry because it's cool and they have, you know, disposable income. A lot of it. Like the people that truly work and grind it out and go through the hell that this does take to reach any sort of successful level are the ones that should dictate how they are portrayed on television. And you're the ones that are in the ring kind of feeling what you're feeling from the audience and knowing what they like and they don't like and kind of, you know, the trial and error of that too. I trial and error being unafraid to fail is another thing that I think holds a lot of wrestlers back because they're so quickly and easily scrutinized and they're so accessible via the internet that Mm. they can't deviate from what they think people want to see and just try something and then live with the consequences. So intuition in professional wrestling, I feel has been lost a bit. NWA allows me to thrive off of my intuition. I mean, if it didn't work, I would not be in the top spot on the top show of the year. So, you know, I mean, I'm awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm way better than most people, but like through that example, hopefully it inspires others to kind of like trust your instincts, trust your intuition. You, this is what I tell a lot of people, especially with the CYN cooperative, my training school in Cleveland, Ohio, is you are the only you that has ever existed. So be the best possible you, you can be like you're one that you're the only one that'll ever exist. So be that. Don't be anything else. Very good. What is and was your vision for Control Your Narrative? I feel like there were all sorts of different versions of what people maybe interpreted it as, but do do you think people misunderstood it? And what was it? And what is it? Well, people aren't smart. So uh, because they're so uh, simple minded in the industry that they think everything is what has been done. Control Your Narrative was supposed to be an exemplary platform for uh, talents to tell their story, going through the pandemic, getting fired by the WWE in a pandemic, coming off of a concussion, like mentally, what was my therapy? There's no guarantee this career nor this lifestyle exists anymore. We're in uncertain times that by trying to tell a story of who I am as a character kind of was a therapeutic experience that helped me out a lot. So through that, wanting to create that platform for other wrestlers, whether they are high level names who want to reinvent themselves or up and comers who might not ever have the chance to break through without the platform. That was the idea of CYN and that's what it will be. And going forward, a platform for a wrestler to be able to tell their story, you know? And you think it's also something fans are going to be seeing more of? I think with what I'm doing with the talent at CYN and the cooperative, and when we launch Exodus Pro, which starts 8-12 in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, get your tickets now, exoprowrestling.com. I would hope it to be. We have a nice little deal with uh, Premier Streaming Network that hopefully people get to see it. But uh, I also think with the advents of social media and technology and all these platforms, I don't know them. I am not savvy with algorithms or computers, but I do know that they exist. And all it takes is one thing for millions of people to see you, who you are, doing what you do. So 
You just got to keep putting it out there, putting it out there. So hopefully using that platform, giving it to people to throw stuff against the wall and uh, see what sticks. Exodus Pro, I mean, I really want to intermingle. CYN was never supposed to be a promotion, and that's probably the biggest uh, grievance of it all. But it seemed like it because a lot was falsely given to us that didn't really exist. So with Exodus Pro, I know what it is. Small level. It's independent. It has potential. We have great talent. New, old, aspiring, reinventing. That maybe it can be something that launches careers to the next level. And maybe someday, who knows, it can be something that is self-sufficient and pays people a living wage to do what they love. Very good. And you mentioned before, uh, I'm trying to remember the word you used, but it wasn't exactly a wrestling school. Training people that. What did you say? I'm sorry. Or not nefarious. No, the word that you had for your school. Uh, the cooperative. Cooperative, yeah. So what's what, what's what's kind of the idea behind that? I always find that wrestling is something that you're never really, you know, anybody I've ever spoken to in wrestling, everybody's always learning. And, you know, but that's kind of the big key to me to training. You don't actually just leave training and all of a sudden just, oh, okay, you're done, the finished product. No, I'm, I, I'm still learning every day. Like I do a lot with uh, – Ohio Valley Wrestling, just so I can get there with Al Snow as like, I'm still in my prime and at a top level, but that will end. And then what comes next? I'm molding the next generation. So seeing how OVW conducts its business, its training, its school, how you interact with, you know, a different generation of talents, which, <laughs> man, that's weird. But uh, so I'm always learning. And that's why I do a lot of things like a cooperative to me, like, Wrestling school, I mean, there's a lot of factories, there's academies. There's centers. <laughs> there are, there's a big center. Yeah. I saw it once. But uh, cooperative to me means that within a cooperative, you are in collaboration, not only with, you know, who's training you, but who you're training with. And within collaborative efforts, I believe true creativity and success is uh, created really because if you if you really think about things, everything that's original to us, everything we've ever done, any original idea, or word, or promo, it's been said before. It's been said in different ways. Like it's, maybe it's a song lyric, maybe it's a quote from a book, maybe it's a philosopher's you know ramblings on a toilet. I don't know, but everything that has been done has been done. Every word's been said. Every note's been played. Every stroke's been painted, but it's about collaboration of all these things that happen. You study, you see, you feel inside of you that you make your own. That's how you create yourself. That's how you control your narrative. That's how you tell your story. And that's how you're original. Were you concerned at all back when you started doing Ethan Carter, the third of that, it would limit you with what you were able to do in that character being the nephew of the owner one where, you know, it's, it's wrestling, but you never really know what's going to change over time in wrestling. So, it, you know, obviously you hit a home run with it. So, but, uh, you know, were you concerned with it when you got it? People would, they thought I should be because it seemed like it would have a shelf life, but that was coming off my first firing from the WWE where, you know, what were we doing? NXT and a bunch of Gaga nonsense that I knew that all I needed was like the ball once. If I have it once, 
I can take it and I can run with it and I can make it my own. And I remember the conversation with uh, TNA about EC3 and Ethan Carter III. And you're going to be the nephew of Dixie Carter. I mean, I am the nephew of Dixie Carter. But hypothetically, say if somebody was telling me this on the phone, you're going to be the nephew of Dixie Carter. And I was just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, perfect. That's all I need. And I knew it would start. I knew I was bring, being brought in for a reason, which one thing I like to teach the cooperative kids and any wrestler listening is like one of the biggest things you can have is confidence. And again, mentioning not being afraid to fail. So within WWE, there's a lot of times where if you make one wrong step or you mess one little thing up, you, th- you think your head's on the chopping block. Whereas I knew I was brought in for a reason that there'd be some leeway to allow this to work. It's someone's idea. That means somebody wants it to succeed. And one of the big things about creative in the politicking game, politics are not necessarily a bad thing all the time. In the politicking game, somebody who's responsible for what's being put on television, having an idea is going to have more room to fail because it's their idea and they want it to succeed. So I knew I had in having that in, I knew that it would have to level up. And I think a lot of wrestlers are missing the point about this because they get comfortable and also complacent with quick success where I knew that when the circumstances started to change, I had to evolve and step up levels or I would just be the same thing over and over. So starting with Ethan Carter, the third being fed goofy tin can opponents and just wasting everybody like the second name started getting into the mix. I knew that it was kind of a long inception really. And I really had a vision that did pan out. Whereas this character, me would have to level up each time you know, the field has increased to where I was very protective of offense. I would do, I would make everything I did try to mean something. And, you know, still at the end of the day, being a bad guy, using the nefarious means to win. So each win, like I hung in there with a top level name. And the only reason I beat him is because I learned a lesson in how to dastardly cheat until the point came where now I'm working with guys like Bully Ray and I'm working with Sting and like to get to Kurt Angle. The thing that really helped the character take it to a top level was the fact that I had the loving relationship with Rockstar Spud. And again, there was some creative freedom where we were able to kind of craft our own story where it could have very easily been thrown away, but we worked hard to make sure it lasted a while. And him and I working in London in front of his family and friends, we both knew that if I'm going to step up to the plate to be a main eventer, another level had to be reached. And that's why we went all in and he did me a tremendous favor dying in front of his family. So the character, any character can really have a shelf life. I think you have to just see when you need to evolve. And I wish other like characters in this nature could yeah. see that too because it's very easy to be people like me boo or yay they're making noise i'm making money sometimes you've got to step up your your arc has to change and you have to reach a next level professional wrestling isn't a three-act story it's kind of like a seven-act structure hmm. interesting great answer thank you very much for that um what was what was the relationship like with dixie carter what did what did she think of it oh she loved me i'm her <laughs> 
No, it's wonderful. She's one of the nicest people I know, truly. And I mean that. Uh, she's a sweetheart. She treats me like family still to this day. I would not hate the idea of her swinging by NWA 75 to watch uh, Tyrus and myself. I heard she's a big Tyrus fan, too. I guess she watches Greg Guffeld. <laughs> no, she would tr truly one of the honestly nicest people I've met in wrestling. And I kind of like despise the the things people would say about her because I know her for real. And that just that was kind of like another eye-opening, awakening thing for that the internet is full of lies. Interesting. How would you nicely sum up the years that you spent in WWE? Because it, it was it was a lot of different stuff. I can very nicely sum it up because everything that happens to somebody happens for a reason. Like I never want to be a guy. And this is what bothers me too, is because I give these honest answers and it comes out EC3 complaining about being fun. Like it was, it made sense from like, it was horrible. It sucked from a business, you know, and a personal standpoint, but like, I've never been bitter or resentful or angry because everything that happens to you has to happen to you for reasons that either pan out or they don't. If you're going to become who you're supposed to be, if you're going to find your path and your purpose in life, everything that happens to you has to happen to you. So, you know, when fans are like, Oh, you got buried or you didn't get pushed. And like, I would like, I've heard that. And you know what? I know. But also at the same time, I know that did I do everything I possibly could to make sure they knew who the F I was? Probably not. It was very easy. I remember going back there and I hearing the morale. The morale's low. People's, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Nothing changes. Everything's a mess. What, like, I've heard all that. And I'm like, I'm not going back with that attitude. I refuse to. I'm coming back from impact. I was able to have a phenomenal run because I had foresight and vision and manifestation and positivity in me. And I went back and very quickly... I fell into the trap and that's my fault and nobody else's fault. So I don't blame anything. I could have probably done a lot more. I, if I have a regret, my regret is I didn't go all in to either get fired or get what I thought I deserved. I kind of just let it lay because it's very easy to kind of just, well, I'm getting paid a bunch of money. If I speak up, like I could take that risk and make more and get what I really feel like I should have, or I can get fired and have nothing. So it's kind of a tough situation, but I took the coward's route and I just stayed there and was complacent. And then I got, you know, injured a couple of times and then a worldwide pandemic happened and then I got fired. Right. So I don't have anything negative. I could have done more. So there's only one person to blame for anything. And that's yourself. All right. And you were, you were in NXT when it was, a wacky game show, basically. <laughs> and uh, I, I always wondered, like, with that, what, what do you, what do you do with that? You know, how do, you, how do you, how do you get yourself noticed? Like, Derek Bateman was always a very noticeable person on all those shows, and I believe it or not, watched NXT Redemption. So I you know, tried to figure out some of that stuff was kind of wild at times. Well, what was that like being in that? When you know nobody's cares, at first it hurts. But then it, you realize you have the ultimate platform and playground to kind of experiment and do things. So I think why I'm able to kind of trust intuition and 
not worry as much about what people think is because we were thrown out there in front of dead crowds and nobody knows who we are doing God knows what. And we just tried to run with it and do the best we could. And what we did do turned out to eventually, ironically, because it was organic and the talents were acting within who they are. And, you know, even if it's like the uberly goofy side of who they are, people noticed, people watched and the numbers went up and people were actually entertained. So the one issue I do have is the fact that by going against the grain and being noticed and kind of getting over in a sense, it was almost, we got punished for it, which is a baffling business decision, but it's not my company. So what can I say? But we went out there, we won it. And there was a lot of good. If you like dumb things, there was some, certainly some bad, but I like dumb things. And sometimes something so bad, it becomes good but it was a platform to each day was an experience to create yourself to be a better wrestler for when the moments that really mattered came, which they did for me. So yeah. it was the ultimate proving ground in a sense. Very good. You mentioned Al Snow as somebody before, are there any other wrestlers or coaches in your career who have been big influences to you? Yeah, I'd say number one would be Dr. Tom Pritchard. So I'm very fortunate to have him as an agent at NWA especially after having, you know, achieved some status and name recognition in the business, you're less likely to get uh, critiqued, I guess you can say. Like you can come back and good job. And you're like, was it? I mean, okay. Whereas when Dr. Tom came in and it's been a while, you know, I come back from a match and he's just like, you're, you're better than that. And like, here's why. And I'm like, wow, thank you. So, like, he always pushes, and he pushes the right way. He was the ultimate player's coach. Uh, when I went to OVW as a young prospect, unsigned, you know, Rip Rogers was a big mm. influence, intermediate OVW coach, absolute nuts, crazy. But, damn, if he didn't know psychology, the guy was whip whiplash smart, maybe a little too much for his own good. And ironically enough, I was very blessed when I started in this industry on an independent and small level. The trainer I had, he was a young guy at the time, but uh, J-Rock in Cleveland, Ohio, was my trainer. And he, like, we were his first class, but, like, we were a very good class because, like, it was myself and a bunch of friends who <clears throat> backyard wrestled together. But, like, we kind of we kind of got it fairly quickly. So he was very good with able to teach us how to do the – things we thought we knew were right, do them the right way, teach us fundamentals, teach us psychology. And ironically enough, coming back to Cleveland and Exodus Pro, our very first show, 8-12, at Temple Live in Cleveland, Ohio, exoprowrestling.com, I'm going to wrestle J-Rock. So Very nice. Leading up to the big match with Tyrus, you know, a little bit of nostalgia to go against my first trainer who – it's probably bitter and resentful for all my success, and I didn't carry him with me, but sorry, bro. There's not enough room for you, bud. It's about me. I always uh, – you hear Dr. Tom Pritchard's name so come up so many times from, you know, specifically people from, from kind of your generation of wrestling, like all the different seminars he did, all the different – you know, just keeping up with pretty much everybody he possibly could – on the independent scene for so long. I mean, he's got to be considered probably one of the more influential guys. The only other guy I can really think of off the top of my head in terms of independent guys is probably Tracy Smothers in terms oh, of yeah. influence on uh, the, you know, on, on that generation. 
Tracy was incredible too. So Tracy, another thing great about J-Rock is because I had potential coming in, like the first name I got to wrestle was Tracy. Really? Yeah. It opened my eyes to everything. And then Tracy would always go to bat for me and I'd work with him a bunch. And he was just, yeah, really, truly, Dr. Tom Tracy, what you just said is absolutely correct. If you're an aspiring wrestler and there's a Dr. Tom seminar, go to it. Not 100%. You have to go or, I mean, from Kurt Angle to The Rock to like working with Stone Cold to pretty much everybody that ever went through a developmental system that has notoriety and name value. Dr. Tom Pritchard is a big reason they are who they are. Great. We're going to move on to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your answers. Um, you mentioned one of them that I'm thinking is going to be on this list already, but if you needed to show someone your favorite three EC3 matches, what would they be and uh, why? Uh, probably the six-way ladder match at uh, uh, TakeOver. Because there. <laughs> I mean, it got five stars. No, but that was a... Uh, to return back after my initial run in a sense of conquering hero and deliver, you know, a classic with a bunch of very talented individuals that rocked the house down. Like that would be one. I would say the second would be myself and Rockstar Spud in London. Yep. That's probably personally my most emotional and favorite. And then number one would probably be myself versus Kurt Angle because when I was a kid, I was asked the question, Hey man, what's your dream match? And I said, a world title match with Kurt Angle. And then the person laughed at me. And guess what? I had it. And I won. Nice. Uh, second question. If you could pick any song that could represent EC3, what would it be? <laughs> the uh, time from the Inception soundtrack. Because you just don't know if that top spins or stops. You just don't know. You just don't know. It keeps spinning. It's a dream. Right. And uh, last question. Hans Zimmer is the Beethoven of our generation. I don't know. Like, I'm not in tune to what's new in classical music, but I love film scores, and the dude just spits out fire nonstop. Very good. And my next question had to be NXT Redemption related, just because I needed to. What was your personal favorite part on that show? Uh, you know, of some of the wackier stuff that happened there. I got to make out with Maxine and Caitlin, dude. Come on. I, a friend of mine uh, produced a list of wacky things that happened on that show. I think my favorite ones were Matt Stryker being kidnapped but continuing to pe appear on every WWE show, including WrestleMania. And my next favorite one was a series of wrestlers being attacked backstage, including Percy Watson, and the main suspect is end, ends up being Percy Watson. So those were uh, those were my two favorites. You never revealed who it was, right? What's that? You never revealed who it was, right? I don't think I think they attacked you too, didn't they? It did. That was towards the end, but then they just pulled the plug. It was supposed to be Eli Cottonwood. Was he already gone by then? I think he was back in developmental. Oh, and wow. maybe he was gone when the switch happened right away, too. And then he was probably. Yeah, and then the new man. NXT started before that was resolved. Yeah. Well, spoil alert. <laughs> now you got the goods, dude. Eli Cottonwood. Didn't expect his name to come up on anything I was doing today. Because we were kind of, we had a the writer that was writing NXT, Tom, uh, Redemption, was like give, given to it. Like they didn't know what to do with anything. And then I was like, here, have this show. And he's like, 
what is this? But he came from soap opera. Tom Cassiello, I believe, right? Correct. Yes. So he comes from the world of soaps and he kind of gathers us. He's like, they just gave me this, man. I like, I'm new to even wrestling. I'm going to lean on you guys for input and stuff like that. And so we, what we ended up having was like, I talked about earlier, this wild, collaborative, creative, like everybody was on board to like, we'll do whatever it takes. Like, even if it's goofy horse manure. Yeah. But even like with Matt Stryker, like we kidnapped Matt Stryker. And the whole gag too was like, oh, NXT, we're not canon. You know, we don't even exist. And I think we did that too, to see if they would even notice on regular TV or mention it, which they didn't. (laughs) Well, how much they really cared. Imagine having, I don't know if millions watching, but hundreds of thousands of people watching something via online and internationally, because it was on television internationally and not giving one iota of a crap about it. Like even a little bit of like foresight or thought you had like that, you can make stars, you can have opportunities, you can build people up. You like have this platform and you just don't care. It's, it was crazy to me. And the talent really did make the most of it too. I thought of of all the opportunities. A lot of my successes didn't make me rich, but damn, am I creative? Yeah, and it is still available on Peacock too, believe it or not. So people can actually still stream the incredible insanity that was NXT Redemption. <laughs> so um, I, I appreciate that you answered that too. I, I, thank you so much for that. And uh, EC3, thanks so much for joining me today. NWA uh, 75 in St. Louis, the bull rope match, the uh, the two night event is August 26th and 27th. Um, and congratulations on all you've accomplished and, uh, and good luck to you moving ahead. Thank you for a very enlightening interview, Phil. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank EC3 for joining me today. I'd also like to thank Mark Kruskal from the NWA for helping me set this up. Follow me on Twitter at Under the Ring for the latest guest announcements. And on Threads, I believe it's called, at PJ Strunk for a bunch of stuff, too. Have a great week, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.